0: All right. good morning everyone. Anybody else need to move from the sun before we get started? By the way, those that, uh, just for a little report, those that are going up the half dome, they're just about the cables, so they're making good time. And uh, let's just pray for their safe return. Um, Two things before we get into the lesson this morning. You can be making your way to Exodus chapter 15. Um, I'm just really amazed at how much this is going to be part two of what we've just heard. I've I just have been amazed at how the Lord has lined our thoughts this morning. Um, several have asked about um, a commentary that that uh, I've been working on for 18 years. I just finished it up last month, the Old Testament. Um, there's a number of the, the Old Testament commentaries that we have today are a bit mechanical, and so... The Lord really exercised me to try to provide something that had Christ-centered exposition all the way through, and practical helps for living for the Lord all the way through. So, um, it, di- it just finished up the 14th volume last month. It's 14 volumes, 5,400 pages. Um, it's been an 18-year project, and it's been a wonderful journey with the Lord. I told my wife, if nobody even reads any of the volumes, I'd still do it all over again just being before the lord with an open word has really transformed my soul so thank him for that uh, i'm going to if you have a pencil i'm going to give you an email address if you're interested in it by the way i've i've tried to read all the older brother and writers there's really a christ centered this there there's about 200 contributors to this commentary so i'm pulling out try the best expositors that i can find trying to preserve their best gleanings, So if you want more information, you can uh, just send me an email at Warren, W-A-R-E, W-A-R-R-E-N, A. Henderson, H e n d r s o n publishing, and that's at gmail.com. And uh, if you don't do email, if you just want to give me a business card, with your telephone number on or something, I'll try to get information uh, to you about it also. And then secondly, about 2.30 this morning, um, I filleted the top of two of my toes on my um, on a bedpost in the room. And so if anybody has little band-aids, I'd be really happy to get a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know you guys that are on mats and cots are really feeling my pain, I can tell. But anyway... That was a very painful experience. All right, Exodus chapter 15. Yesterday we looked at how the flesh behaves. We saw that the flesh always wants more. It's never satisfied. We saw that the flesh will always try to cause you to not obey the Lord. It justifies incomplete obedience. Uh, We saw that the flesh will boast itself against the truth. Uh, we saw the the flesh will want to blame shift. It doesn't take responsibility for what it's done. Uh, we see that the flesh wants to defend itself. And I totally agree with what Nate said uh, yesterday, and, I, and it takes a while to learn this lesson. It took me a while to learn this lesson. Um, if you're doing anything for the Lord, I don't care if you're preaching the gospel, if you're just living Christ in the home in your neighborhood. Uh, if you're evangelizing, if you're living for the Lord, you will be attacked. That's a promise, right? All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's that's the, the Christian life, and we should expect that. Um, it doesn't matter that you defend yourself, your name or your reputation. The flesh wants to say, well, what's the truth? What's the vindication in this? What matters is... Not defending yourself, but how you can bring Christ in the situation. That's the response that matters. So if you're in that situation right now, just forget about vindicating yourself. That doesn't really matter. That only usually causes more division. But if you can respond in a Christ-like way, that's where he's going to get the glory. And that's what the world needs to see is the Lord Jesus in us, not us defending ourselves. Then we saw that the flesh uh, loves uh, the praise of men more than the praise of God. The flesh fears men more than it fears God. We saw the flesh can't transform itself. It's, it's wicked all the way through. There's nothing in it that can transform itself. The Malachites were the same even after 400 years. The flesh only knows mortification and gratification. And at the end of the study yesterday, we see Samuel in his mid-70s, a man of God, full of spirit. He takes a sword and he doesn't just stab agag through right that would have killed him but the picture there is so vivid of samuel full of spirit he hacks agag into pieces which shows the hatred that god has for those things that defile his people and defile his name that's why saul a picture of the flesh could not mortify agag a picture of the flesh. The flesh will never mortify the flesh. And so we need the spiritual, we need the sword of the spirit, and we need the spirit of God to do that. Now, today I want to think with you, uh, it will be four main points as to things that the flesh does not like. But I think it's appropriate that we start in chapter 15. Uh, in Exodus 14, God has this great uh, deliverance. Nate made mention of this. They're, they're pinned in basically against the sea, and uh, they got a mountain on the south and the north side. They got Pharaoh and his army on the east, and, and that's when God has Moses lift up the rod of God over the sea, and then it provides the way of escape, and then they had to go forward, walk down in it. Now, I believe that happened based on the text at night, uh, the cloud the pillar of cloud was darkness to the enemy, light to the people of God, and can you imagine going down into the sea at night and that pillar of cloud is just illuminating enough for the next peop- the, the people of God to take the next step of faith? They take a step of faith, God shows them more. take a step of faith God and he leads them all the way through that quarter, that dark quarter through the sea unto deliverance, unto salvation, and then God gets rid of the enemy. So in chapter 15, we have the song of the redeemed, the song of Moses. It's the first song recorded in Scripture. It's the first singing recorded in Scripture. Now, we've had um, mention of music before, but this is the first song and singing in Scripture. Now, what I find really fascinating about this is it's also the last song recorded in scripture. If you read in Revelation chapter 15, those who were martyred that came out of the tribulation period that wouldn't take the mark of the beast, who wouldn't bow to the Antichrist, they're singing the song of deliverance, the song of redeemed, the song of Moses. And there's one inescapable fact that we see all the way through scripture, the redeemed sing. Amen? Amen. The redeemed sing. We have a lot to sing about. And the redeemed sing. Uh, Nate was mentioning, we three kings. You know, we sing that sometimes in uh, towards uh, the Christmas season. And it's not likely that there were three kings. But because of the gifts, we, we say three kings. Well, we also sing, hark the herald angels sing. Well, in Luke it says they praise God. There's actually no record of angels actually singing. Maybe they do. Um, but I can tell you this. The redeemed, God's people, sing. We have a lot to sing about. And so there's 45 exaltations to God in Exodus 15. Now we're going to pick up in chapter 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Sound familiar? We just had the story um, out of second kings now when they came to marah they could not drink the water of marah for it was bitter therefore the name of it was called marah and the people complained against moses saying what shall we drink so he cried out to the lord this is moses he cried out to the lord and the lord showed him a tree when he cast it into the water the waters were made sweet There he made a statute at an ordinance for them. And there, I want you to mark this in your Bible, he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals." I am the Lord who heals. So we have this wonderful picture of God delivering his people out of Egypt. When Moses was standing before God at the burning bush, God says, I got a two-point plan here. I'm bringing my people out of Egypt, and I'm bringing them out of slavery, and then I'm taking them to a land full of milk and honey. Two things there, delivered from slavery and delivered from Egypt. And that is what the Lord is doing for you, beloved. We are delivered from the slavery of sin, and we are the acclasia, the called-out company. We are a people called out for God, delivered from Egypt or the world. Beautiful pictures all through scripture of this. Uh, Noah builds this ark. I love the, the language in Genesis. Uh, God told, uh, I may have said Moses, I meant Noah. So Noah builds this ark, and uh, God tells Noah, pitch it on the inside and outside. Now, the Hebrew words for pitch, two different words, are used for ransom and atonement throughout the entire Old Testament. Trees don't bleed, but God's giving us imagery of a bleeding ark because it pictures his son. One door, one way in. The warning goes out. I think more than eight souls could have come in, but that's all who answered the call. So Noah and his family come in, God shuts the door, seals them in, a beautiful picture of Christ, the wrath of God comes down, everyone outside the ark dies, perishes, everyone inside the ark lives, the wrath fell on the ark, those within were sustained, but that's not the end of the story, beautiful picture of Christ but then the ark is lifted off the earth. The waters that came down and broke up from within lifted the ark off the earth. And here you have God's people that are redeemed, sanctified, being brought closer and closer to him. Separation. And so we see this all through uh, the scripture. Now, verse 25, I made mention of this. By the way, this is child rearing 101, right? That's what, that's what God is teaching his people here. Right, and We do that with our children. When a, when a baby's about um, five or six months old and, and they're headed to the coffee table for that beautiful little thing on the table, and you say no, and they just go and put it in their mouth, right? They don't even think about it. But around eight or nine months of age, you say no as they're reaching, and they look back at you, and they look at that thing, and they grab it and put it in their mouth. Well, that's a moral decision. And that's when parenting begins, right? I said no, and there's a sting with it. Now, I grew up, my mom's from Mississippi. We were talking about this yesterday. She always said, go get a switch, go get a switch. hated those words. One time I brought her a little switch like that. She about beat me half to death with it. I never did that again. But that's, uh, and that's what God is, is teaching his people. If you obey my commandments, hugs, blessing. But if you disobey, there's chastening, there's judgment, and there's punishment. And so uh, that's just part of growing. Four points, four things that the flesh does not like. The first one is in verse 25 of chapter 15. The flesh... Does not like testing. The flesh does not like testing. Now, this uh, Hebrew word here uh, for tested in verse 25 is only the second time it occurs in Scripture. The first time is back in Genesis 22, verse 1, when God came to test Abraham. And we know the story where God says, I'm going to show you a place. It's three days off. You take Isaac there and offer him as a burnt offering. You know what? Abraham didn't even ask why. Hebrews 11 pulls this out. He just gets up the next morning and he goes. Now that's faith. This is the promised child. And Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham knew, because he trusted in the character of God, he knew that if he struck him down... God would have to raise him right back up from the dead because he was the child of promise and all the covenant blessings would come through him. Now that's incredible faith. Now, did God know what Abraham would do at Moriah? Yes, God knows everything. Did Abraham know what he would do at Moriah? No. See, that's the purpose of the test. We don't know unless we're tested. Uh, Faith that is not tested will not be trusted. There is no way that you can escape testing. It's the way that uh, James chapter 1 was mentioned last night, I think, in Patrick's testimony. That's the way that God builds this quality, this peaceful quality of patience into us, is through tests. And I can tell you, as I look over the landscape at who God is really using in his work— it is people that are being pounded and pounded and pounded with tests. And they're learning patience. Or as our brother puts it, they're, they're learning to be desperate for God. Think of, think of our, our society. We have health insurance to make sure that we're covered for every little thing. Uh, we have life insurance. This in case we, we kick over early, right? And um, we have car insurance. We have 401Ks. And we have IRAs to take care of us when we get older. We so insulate ourselves against the hand of God and his working our life that God has to be innovative to get of our attention. And oftentimes, what I see, it's through health or wayward children. Things like that that you can't insulate against. God will get your attention one way or another because he knows the only way to grow faith, the only way to bring Christ-likeness into us is testing. It's a must. So, as our brothers already told us, don't shy away from it. God is his calling card. He's trying to make you desperate for him. And when we just yield to the truth and we're desperate for God, that's when God brings himself great glory. And so here we see Moses, he casts the tree, beautiful picture of the cross of Christ, into the water, it makes it sweet. It's already been said many times, the Lord Jesus will make your life sweet. He is the satisfier of every genuine need of your soul. He will make your life. You don't need anything else but the Savior in this life. And if you have him, you're going to be satisfied. And if you have him, your marriage will be better. And to be quite honest, Brenda and I have been married three four years. I never knew marriage could be this good. But it's in the Lord. If it wasn't with him, I, we'd be statistic. I'm sure it would be my fault. I mean, very frankly, that, I believe that's the case. But in him, it's been a beautiful thing. He makes life sweet, He heals. He satisfies. That's what the Savior does. Now, in chapter 16, we come into the highest concentration of murmuring and complaining in all the Bible. Okay, It started back in chapter 15 uh, when it says they complain. And this is a Hebrew loon. It just means they abided with. Moses, it's kind of like that dripping faucet. They're just there all the time. Drip, 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 drip. You know, it's irritating. But as you go through chapter 16 to chapter 17, by the time you get to chapter 17, it is full-blown strife, and Moses is fearing for his life. And this is what's going to happen if the flesh isn't checked. I mean, we see it in the political arena today. I have never seen so much spewing of hate. As there is in the. God forbid we get caught up in that. We need to spew love, the love of Christ, and not hatred. Now, so we read in verse 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and the Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. So they've been on the road about a, a month and a half now, and they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died... By the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not will they take their shovels and dig will they go out and get their manna it's going to be a test and they do i'm going to satisfy them more than they could ever imagine and so the flesh does not like testing but we understand faith has to be tested to grow the second point is this the flesh always looks back are you a grumbler and a complainer I didn't see any hands go up. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord for your honesty. You know why we grumble and complain? Because we look back. They said, oh, that we would have been still in Egypt. Oh, we had the flesh pots, and we had the fresh baked bread, and we had the leeks, and we had the garlic, and we had the onions. Well, they were slaves in Egypt, right? They forgot that. Pharaoh was killing their baby boys. They forgot that. But the flesh looks back. We complain because we're looking back instead of forward at what God could do, right? So here it is. On Monday, if I'm looking at where I was on Sunday, I'm looking back, I'm going to be dissatisfied. And that's really the nature of being dissatisfied with what God's given you and where you're at that leads to our murmuring and complaining. We're dissatisfied with God. And so I look where I was Sunday. Instead of this experience that brings me closer to God, I compare where I am now to then, and I complain. And then on Tuesday, I compare where I was on Monday. And because I'm looking back, I'm dissatisfied, and I am a complainer and murmurer. And so if you're looking back, you will be a, you'll go through this entire life complaining and murmuring. And by the way, this brings it out clearly in the text. It's not against other people. It's against God. Look at this. Verse 7. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we? That you complain against us. Verse 8. Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 12, I've heard, this is God's, uh, Moses speaking for the Lord, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. When you murmur and complain, it's against the almighty creator who knows the beginning from the end, who is never surprised by anything, and as Nate's already said, allows everything to come into your life. Nothing goes across his desk without his stamp of approval. And by the way, it was rightly said, God started that conversation with the devil about job that doesn't quite seem fair does it but you know what there were things lurking in job's heart that he didn't even know he was there he was a righteous man can you imagine the jews reading that text no one like him on the earth even the patriarchs can you imagine Yet there there is something in his heart. And beloved, there are things still lurking in your heart that God wants to purge, in my heart too. And he's going to bring tests in your life. He's going to conform you, Romans 8, 29, to the, the image, the moral image of his son. So we need to understand that everything that comes in our life is an expression of God's love to make us more fruitful, more like him, and to bring him glory. And if we go through life looking forward with expectation of what God will do or can do, we're going to be joyful, thankful people. It was already mentioned, Nate said, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ concerning you. Ephesians, we read, I used to think there was a little loophole there, like, okay, in everything, well, I can find some little sp- part of this that I can give God thanks for but then Ephesians says for all things can I give God thankfulness for cancer can I give God we have two sick adult kids can I give God thanks for that if we're looking at what, and we see God's hand working, we see God doing incredible things. And I just want to encourage you, many of you are in trials, you're in tests, try to pick something that in, the, in this situation that you can praise God for. Start looking ahead, and he'll open your mind to the rest of it. And before long, you'll be a praising, thankful believer instead of a murmuring, complaining believer. Uh, the the world desperately needs to see Christ. Um, last night I was walking home from housekeeping. It was like 10.30 at night. I'm a bow hunter. I'm used to walking in the dark. But then there was two bikes coming at me with their headlights, and they, they blinded me. And so I just stepped off the road, and I should have stopped, but I kept walking. And as they came by, I tripped over a boulder, and both my feet caught it, and I went face down, and I, I was laying there, and I started chuckling. I said, wow, Lord, that was a perfect t- tackle. You got both feet. <laughs> I mean, there's, just, there's always something that you can thank the Lord for. I was at uh, Camp Lai Loli two weeks ago, and the last couple days, I started running a high fever, 100, 304 fever. And uh, I laid in bed almost all day the last day of camp. God, by the way, provided me to close the message that evening. I had confidence that He would, and He did. He broke my fever forty-five minutes before the message. <laughs> I was able to. Randy Hoffman said, "Except he said you coughed once. Other than that, I wouldn't even know you were sick." And God gracious, but I was laying in bed thinking, "Oh Lord, what can I?" You know, Paul says rejoicing is a choice in Philippians one. What can I? What can I find in this? And I thought, and it, it just brought joy in my heart. I said, "Well." I can sing low, because I could hit like two or three notes lower than normal, because I was sick. You know, there's always something that you can rejoice in, all right? Look forward. Let's be a forward-looking people, having faith. All right, as we go forward, uh, I just want to To summarize here for the sake of time, God's going to provide this bread from heaven six days out of the week. He gets a double portion on Friday. They go out and collect it. And each person had to go out and get their own manna. And everybody who did didn't lack anything. In other words, God had everything they needed to sustain them in the wilderness. When God sets a table, you're not going to lack anything. Amen? You're not going to lack anything. God's the satisfier of all need. The third point is this, the flesh doesn't like spiritual food. The flesh doesn't like spiritual food. And uh, we read in verse 20, notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. Some of the people didn't obey the commandment of the Lord, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered in the morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. In other words, there was a time that God had the provision for them. But the flesh would say, well, I can sleep in a little bit more, longer this morning before I go out and get my manna. Beloved, this, this is what God is trying to teach us. Uh, we cannot live on yesterday's appreciation of Christ. We need fresh gleanings from his word. That's why in this commentary, I'm trying to pull out every allegory, every type, every shadow of Christ all the way through. If we're not seeing Christ in the Old Testament, we're lacking. Because that's an expression. The whole uh, word of God is expression of God's Son to some extent. So the flesh will starve the spiritual man. Now, just some ideas for your home. If a, a Christian family is really, a Christian home is not a home where a bunch of Christians live. It's really where Christ and his word are preeminent, and that's the center of family life. Okay? So um, here's just some ideas. Make sure that the word of God is front and center in the day-to-day life of the family. Family devotions. If you're not fathers, dads, if you're not leading family devotions, I want to encourage you to do that daily. If you have young children... Don't go long. Start short. Five or ten minutes. Have maybe each person that can read, read a verse, go around, then do some commentary. Have each person then give a comment, something, an application, something about the Lord. Precious times. As your young men get nine, ten years of age, they can actually, one night out of the week after dinner, maybe lead a little devotion. Now, our boys, when they first started, the first devotions were about 15 seconds. Right, And half that time was turning to the passage. But it was okay. It got them standing up, opening the word of God, and what we saw is they got comfortable with that. Then they started praying in the prayer meeting. They started sharing in the Lord's Supper, taking their role, leading, expounding, teaching. Uh, Another thing with children you can do is um, give them a little spiral notebook when they're about seven or eight and can read a, a readable version of the Bible And then dad sat down with them once a week. Um, We did this with our kids. I said, I want you to write the date, what you read. I'm not going to tell you how much to read. And just one thought about the Lord or one thought of application. And I'm going to sit down with you each week and see what the Lord gives you. And so I did that about six months. And then I go to every other week for six months and then once a month for a year. And uh, so two years of accountability. And as I look back... Those were some of the most precious times in my kids is I I got to learn what God was showing them. And sometimes God would teach me through that because I have too high of a view on things and they could boil it down to the simple principles. I think like, wow, why didn't I see that? Plus we homeschooled, any misspelled words you circle it goes on their spelling test. It's a win win all the way around. <laughs> um, and for our kids, it was great to see them even in their adult years, morning quiet times, you know, pushing all those wild animals that charge us in the morning and just having that time with the Lord. Um, time with the Lord is precious. I, coffee and the Lord is good too, but uh, I mean, the Lord alone is, is enough, but coffee is just a plus. All right, we have to, <laughs> we have to hurry on here. Um, Look at um, verse 30, we get a description of what the manna looked like, it was white, verse 31, it was white, coriander seed, taste of it was uh, like a wafer made of honey. And then the last point is this, Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, fill an omer with it, this is fill an omer with the manna, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for generations. So we have the flesh doesn't like to be tested. The flesh uh, doesn't like to look forward. It looks back. Uh, The flesh doesn't like to feed the spiritual man. And the fourth point is, the flesh doesn't like to remember God's goodness. If you're journaling, I want you to encourage you, write down answers to prayer as you go. Write down the goodness of the Lord. I I was told early on by another full-time worker, we've been in full-time work now 21 years. He says, there's going to be discouragement come. Start an encouragement file. And so whenever I get a note or an email or a card, I put it in this encouragement file. And so then when the dark cloud's coming, the storms come, I can pull that out, anchor my mind in the truth. Well, this person was encouraged by our ministry, and this person. That's very helpful. The flesh doesn't want to remember God's goodness. Um, But we should, right? We should not forget. We should want to remember. Now, can the Lord set a table in the wilderness? Amen. Now, forgive me this is just where my engineering comes comes out occasionally in my preaching. I like to literally figure out you know things and um, so, I just did a comparison between manna and wheat, and i I kind of ha- wanted to have this idea of how much provision God provided uh, for the children of Israel during the thirty eight plus years that that he provided for them. And just assuming there was two, two and a half million people. So, uh, a loaded, you can die and go to heaven, never remember this, but a loaded 747 is about 400 tons, okay? Now, how much manna did God provide the children of Israel during that stint and why they were wandering in the wilderness? I calculate 66 million tons. That's the equivalent of eleven. completely loaded 747s, 11.3 fully gross weight, 747s landing every day provision. Now I'm not just talking about what they can carry, I'm talking about their gross weight. God is providing 400 tons times 11.3 every day. God is able to meet your needs. Wherever you're at, he's able to meet your needs. He's the satisfier. He makes life sweet. He's the healer. So that's not look back. That's be people that look forward in expectation as to what God can do. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for being so good. We thank you, Lord, for working with each one of us in a very individual way. Father, please forgive us for not remembering your goodness. Please forgive us for doubting your character, your faithfulness. Please help us, Lord, not to look back. We don't want to be complainers and murmurers against you. We want to be expectant children that will see, want to see your glory. We want to see the fame of the name of the Lord Jesus spread among the nations. So, Father, please help us. We understand we need to be tested. We need to be refined. We're all this little poem, this workmanship, And process, and we pray, Lord, you'd have your way with us. We give you, um, your, we give permission to have your way with us. Change us. Do with us what you will for your glory. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.